You guys, it is fun to watch that video and see those faces and then look out into the room and see those very faces looking back at me. Uh, we have a baptism Sunday happening next week. We've got some people signed up, but if you are interested, don't leave here today without talking to me. We'd love to have you baptized next Sunday. Okay, but, okay. Do you guys know why I didn't know the words? Because I, I feel like it should be fair, right? Like, she, she gets to say her piece, I get to say mine. Guys... I was a good Christian boy. I didn't have friends in little places. I didn't need to sing about them. I didn't need to... That is why I did not know the words to friends in little places. <laughs> you guys, uh, you know, I have been a part of this church for a very long time now. It's been part of uh, my life um, my parents moved us to Fort McMurray in 1991, and I've been a part of this church ever since. Um, I owe a lot to this place. So I decided to follow Jesus when I was eight years old, upstairs in Kid City, after a McGee and Me movie. Does anybody remember those? Um, I raised my hands in worship right over in this section for the first time when I was 11 years old. Uh, when I was 14, I was baptized in the old baptismal tank we have under the drums that has been condemned for obvious reasons. Um, and when I was around that same time, I joined the worship team here and I broke more strings and I hit more bad notes than I could even count. Um, I also held a girl's hand for the first time upstairs during a youth event. <clears throat> and that girl became my wife. Okay, uh, Remember, no friends in low places for this guy. <clears throat> this place has been pretty important to me. And, uh, and when I was a teenager, this church invited a special speaker to town uh, to talk. And uh, he gave this great uh, sermon. And after he was done, he invited everybody up to the front to be prayed for, to get, kind of get prayed for and get sent out. And this place, the front of this room was full, people getting prayed for. And I was uh, back in my seat, and I was just right there where Anson is sitting, kind of in this section over here, and I wasn't moving. I didn't come up for prayer. I didn't feel uh, something was wrong inside of me, and I was confused, and I was wondering, am I not good enough? Why, why don't I feel like I should be prayed for in this moment? You know, everybody's doing it. Why am I not doing it? And then with incredible clarity... I felt God speak to me, and he told me that one day it would be me praying for people. He changed my heart right then, right there, in that moment, and I felt I was sure it was God speaking to me, and I felt a deep sense of calling to serve his church as a pastor. And so I became a firefighter. For almost 12 years, uh, I was an EMT firefighter uh, out at Suncor, and I had, I, had, I had the best job in the world, you guys. Uh, great pay, lots of time off. It was perfect. I mean, I, f I still felt the need to serve the church, kind of the call to serve, maybe even full-time one day, uh, but, but that wasn't going to happen until my life was perfect, you know, until the mortgages were paid down and the debt was gone, until everything was going peachy for Lucas. Maybe then I'd become a full-time pastor. And so two years ago, when uh, Doug called me into his office, uh, if you're new here today, Doug is the lead pastor. He called me into his office, and he asked me 
if I would consider leaving Suncor and working here at the church full time. And uh, I chuckled at the time at how absurd that idea felt to me. Um, I mean, my life was pretty good. It was clicking along. Things were going well. Debt was being paid down. Mortgages were slowly disappearing. And my life was kind of perfect. But then God began to remind me of that moment so long ago when he captured my heart in those seats right there. Over the next couple of months, my wife and I talked it over. We kind of weighed pros and cons, what it would mean for our family, what it would mean for our finances, what it would mean for our futures. And then in March 2018, uh, I walked into the chief's office out there and I quit. And he looked at me and he said, I had recently just got a promotion, so he was kind of annoyed. And I quit, and he's like, well, where are you going? What are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm going to be a pastor. And you guys, the look of disapproval on his face, he did not have very much faith in me. And he told me, he's like, Lucas, when this church thing doesn't work out, you can come back here. And uh, so that was kind and mean at the same time. You know, it was one of the most significant decisions that I've had to make in my life. It meant moving from something that was very comfortable into something that was very uncomfortable, from, from the status quo to something new, and from the known into the unknown. It felt like a huge risk for me, and, and maybe it was, and, and it probably still is, but I've never been happier. I've never felt more whole. I mean, I went from a job where you're allowed to sleep at work to a job where you only work one day a week on Sunday. So it was kind of not that bad of a trade. I've got nothing to complain about. In the economy of God, there is so much to be gained on the other side of sacrifice. There is so much to receive on the other side of giving, there is so much to take hold of on the other side of letting go. And last week we talked about giving, about how Jesus wants his followers to be the most generous people in the world. We talked about how deciding to support a local church is an important spiritual step and about how when you give to a local church, you become part of creating opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. <laughs> and I have to be, I have to be honest. We're, we're all friends here, right? Be honest. When it comes to giving, I'm a bit of a late bloomer. Uh, for years, this church was an essential part of my life. You heard me talk about all the milestones that I have here in this place. Uh, I, I owe this place almost everything. And yet in all of that time, the, all that time that the church was investing in me, I wasn't investing in the church. I was a consumer, not a partner. And the truth is that I have been directly benefiting from this church and this faith for almost my whole life. And still, with that being the truth, it wasn't until about six years ago that I decided to become obedient to that inner voice inside of me that was telling me that it was time to become a regular and generous giver. And it was scary, and like many people, I didn't feel like I had a lot to give 
Giving was intimidating. It was scary and uncomfortable. But scary or not, I talked to my wife, Adrian, and we set up recurring giving. It came right out of our account every payday. And, and you know what changed after that? I was so afraid. You know what changed after that was, was, was nothing. It turns out that I had more margin than I thought I did. In fact, I discovered that after I started giving for the first time, giving more became easier. And I became, I started to enjoy it. And it did things to my faith that I did not expect it to do. Suddenly, when I saw some family being helped or something good that church was doing, I knew that I had in some small way helped to make that happen. Suddenly, every time I saw someone baptized, I knew that I had contributed to this person's walk of faith. And suddenly, every life mattered just a little bit more to me because I became part of this place in a new and important way. Now, some preachers will talk to you about giving and they'll tell you that when you give to God, He gives you back more than you could have ever expected, that uh, when God will bless your giving and He'll bless you because of your giving. And I think, I think that stuff is, is true. Like there's some truth to it, but I personally don't find that to be a very compelling reason to give. I think when you give to get... I think you miss the greater blessing in giving. And I think when you give to get, I think you miss the better way. This morning we're going to look at a story of Jesus from the account of Luke. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is a guy who wrote about the life of Jesus. And you know what I find crazy about Luke in the time period that he lived in? Uh, at that time, Caesar was the emperor. And Caesar was the most... Uh, influential, important, powerful person in the whole world at that time. And he had people on his staff that he paid whose sole job was to write about him and write the history books about him. Much, most of what has been written about that Caesar at that time has been lost to history. And yet these words that Luke wrote are still being talked about 2,000 years later. He wrote about a poor Jewish man named Jesus who grew up in a town called Bethlehem and did some crazy things. And he knew what had happened was important, and so he captured the facts for us. He knew he was witnessing history, and he didn't want it to be lost to time. And because it became so important, we still get to talk about it. Lucas, Luke tells us uh, of a time when Jesus and his disciples were doing this amazing thing. Jesus had been traveling and preaching and caring for people all along the way, and he had drawn a considerable crowd. Now, people didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't really know uh, what he stood for or who he was, what he was doing, uh, but they knew that he was doing something important. And they didn't want to miss it. And Luke tells us that after all this traveling and teaching and healing all these Jesus things, that a crowd of 5,000 men had followed them. And they, they were kind of in this remote area on a hill. And there was 5,000 men. And what, uh, it, it was a different time back then. You know, the equality wasn't the same. And so when they write 5,000 men, that's actually literally, they just counted the men. And so when we say 5,000, when you consider that there were men and women there, we're talking a ginormous crowd of people. When Jesus did Jesus' things, people took notice. A crowd gathered. And 
We have experienced something a bit like that here at Fort City. We talked a bit about this last week, that something important seems to be happening here. God is at work in this church. This year alone, we have been part of 50. Baptisms. That's 15 people who dared to share their faith uh, that was growing inside of them. And next week, we've got a couple more who have decided we're going to baptize them next week. It's going to be awesome. So far this year, we have had 42 people join a serving team. Uh, that makes a total of around 160 people who volunteer and serve regularly here at Fort City. Now, maybe that number sounds small or big to you. Guys, it wasn't that long ago that we couldn't even get 160 people to come here on a Sunday morning. And now we have 160 people, just people who are serving and volunteering. In September alone, 60 people joined a midweek group like Starting Point or Irresistible or a community group. That's 60 people who decided that they wanted to step outside Sunday morning and grow their faith during the week with people who cared about them. And compared to this time last year, we have 16% more kids in Kid City. That is a, that's a lot of kids. And we talked about it last week. You guys are good at making kids. If you could slow down, that would be really appreciated. That's a huge increase in kids this year. And then last year, you guys, we had 900 people come to our Christmas Eve service. That is 1% of our total city's population decided to come to this room and hear the most important story ever told. God is at work in this church. You can see it. You can feel it. Lives are changing. And people are meeting Jesus. A crowd is gathering. And so Luke tells us about these thousands and thousands of people that have gathered around Jesus to hear him preach and, 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 to, and, and to be healed, hopefully. And as the day goes on, uh, the disciples, they start to worry. They're beginning to realize that they're in this remote place that's kind of far away from many villages. And there's all of these people. And they realize that these people are going to need to be fed. And they don't have any food to feed them. They have more people than they have resources. You know, there's no skip the dishes in ancient Israel. And so they have a real problem on their hands. And so the disciples, they come up with this plan. See, Jesus preaching, teaching, healing, doing all his things over there. And I like to imagine the disciples kind of gathered around together over in the corner worrying and having anxiety and being stressed. How are we going to feed these people? You know, like we do. And, uh, and so they come up with this plan. They're just going to send everybody home. If they're not here, they're not our problem, right? I don't care where you go, but you can't stay here. And so somebody has to tell Jesus this plan. And so Jesus takes a break from preaching, and so one of them walks over to him, and they muster enough courage to say, uh, Hey, Jesus, uh, good job teaching and healing. Uh, like really stellar work with that today. But maybe we should start telling these people to go home because I don't think we're going to be able to feed them all. See, the disciples just see the problem, right? They see the issue at hand. They see what they don't have. And I definitely, I definitely get that feeling, okay? When I look at these scenarios with problems and solutions, I'm typically better at identifying the problem than I am the solution. It takes more creativity and effort to figure out the solution. And I remember... Uh, when I was just a rookie, uh, I went to my very first car accident ever, and uh, those 
scenes are really intimidating. And one of the things that happens in car accidents is like the vehicle gets damaged and shifted and oftentimes doors don't open and all that kind of stuff. So firefighters have a, a ton of tools to get access into the vehicle to help people who are trapped in vehicles. And so I go to my first car accident, I'm all gung-ho, and I go straight up, and there's somebody inside that needs help. And so I grab a a window punch. I'm going to smash the window so I can help the person. And right before I do, my lieutenant, she grabs my hand, and she tells me to stop. And she just reaches down and opens the door. (laughs) You know, I, I... all I could see was the problem, right? I, was, I had tunnel vision on the problem. And, and I think in this story, that's the problem that the disciples have. They're only looking at what they don't have. They're only looking at what they need or what they lack. And, you know, much of the artwork depicting Jesus, you know, the paintings and the movies and the things that we see, they make him appear very angelic. And, you know, he's always petting a lamb or wiping away somebody's tears, all these tender and kind portrayals of him. And, uh, I mean, he, he has those things. I'm not saying he's not those things. But I think Jesus is also kind of funny. I mean, we get our sense of humor somehow from someone. It's probably from the one who created us. And, and I mean, I, I think it becomes obvious uh, if you look at this picture of a platypus, which was clearly created to be a joke, um, this animal is ridiculous. I think God was creating animals and, you know, he was making all these majestic creatures like bears and lions and eagles. And then just for fun, just as a joke, he made that guy. God has a sense of humor. Jesus, you may have never heard him described this way before. Jesus was playful. Okay, he was, he was funny. He was very real. And I think the way he acts in this story we're talking about today, I think he is being kind of playful. Now, he knows disciples are worried, okay? He knows that they're stressed about feeding everybody. And he knows that they don't have any food. And so they come up to him and they tell him, we don't have food, we've got to send these people home. Jesus looks at them kind of with a smirk on his face. He says, well, you feed the people. And the disciples, they kind of look around at each other in shock. This was not really the reply that they were expecting. And so they take a moment to explain the problem to the creator of the universe. And they say, Jesus, we'd like to feed the people. Uh, We really would, but you see, we only have five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. So, you know, there's that. We can't. You know, sometimes I think... We look at the things that God has given us and we think it's not enough. Like, we don't have enough time or we don't have enough money. If only I made more, if only there was more hours in the day. But here's the thing, when God gets involved, what you have is precisely what you need. When my wife Adrian moved to Fort McMurray from Arkansas. She came here with a learner's permit to drive. She was 15 years old. And uh, to get this learner's permit in Arkansas, uh, all she had to do was drive around a single block and take four right turns. And then she got her learner's permit. And uh, then she came to Canada. And um, 
She came to Fort McMurray. She went to the license office to get a new license, uh, kind of a Canadian learner's permit. She filled out the paperwork. They took her license. And then a couple of weeks later, she got her new Alberta license in the mail. And the thing was, uh, when she opened up the mail, it was a full class five license, not a learner's permit. She was 15 years old, and the government had given her a full license. And just so you guys know, she still has not learned to drive. It's dangerous. It's dangerous out there. But this is how stuff works with God. You might only have five loaves of bread and and two fish, but that is enough. You might only have a single income or you might only have a little bit of training, but with God that is enough. You may only have a few hours to spare to volunteer, but that is enough. God takes our not enough and he turns it into more than enough. So Jesus has made up his mind. He plans on feeding these thousands of people who have followed him. Uh, He's decided it's going to happen. And so he takes this small basket of food from the disciples and he takes all that they have, everything that they have, all the food in their possession, and he prays for it. And I like... Uh, I, I don't think he did anything dramatic. I don't, in the movies, he always holds the basket up or he, he makes a big show of it. But I think Jesus just prayed. That's all that Luke tells us he did. He prayed. And then he takes that basket of food and he puts it in the disciples' hands and he tells them, feed them. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you are one of those disciples. Let's imagine you're Peter, because he's one of the funny ones. Uh, Jesus gives you this basket full of scraps, and he tells you to feed these thousands of people. And you know you don't have enough. Uh, you don't even understand what is about to happen or, or, or how it could even work. You're full of tension and fear and scarcity. And so you take that basket and you go to the first person, right? And you say, here, take some, but not too much. Just take a little bit. This has to feed everybody, right? You're nervous. Just a little communion-sized portion. It's all you're allowed to take. But then something happens, you guys. There's more bread. There's more fish. And as the baskets are being passed around, somehow the food is multiplying. Somehow there is enough for everyone. Somehow not enough became more than enough. It was a miracle. And I think... That at this point in the story, it's important to ask a question. And the question is, where did that miracle happen? Where did that miracle start? Was it when Jesus prayed for the food? I don't think so. The miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in the hands of the disciples. The miracle didn't happen until they grabbed the basket and as foolish as they felt, turned towards the crowd and began to give away the food that they had. Guys, I I, I don't know why, but for some reason, God has chosen you and me to reach this world. He has chosen you and me to be his hands, his feet. He has been chosen you and me to be his miracle. What God has put in your hands is more than enough. So the question is, what has God put in your hands? What has God put in your hands 
that He wants to multiply in somebody else's? What has God given to you that He wants to grow through your obedience to give it away? What miracle is in you that is meant for somebody else? That day Luke tells us that everybody ate, that everybody was satisfied, that no one went hungry, and not just that, but once everybody was done eating, there were basketfuls of food left over. What was not enough in the hands of the disciples became more than enough when they gave it away. Giving to your local church is a foundational part of the Christian faith. Right from the first pages of the Bible all the way to the last, God talks about how He wants His people to be known as the most generous. That He wants us not just to worship Him with our words, but He also wants us to worship Him with our finances. But it's hard to do. It's an intimidating step to take, and it's easy for us to spot the problems. I can't give now. I don't have enough. I can't give now. I'm a new Christian. I can't give now. I don't really like the church's music or the preaching. Mm -hmm. You want to know something that stopped me for a long, long time? And this is, this is embarrassing to say as a pastor, uh, but we're friends, right? being honest i used to not give because i was worried that maybe one day i would discover this whole jesus thing wasn't real i didn't know it didn't have faith god has chosen you and me to be the church he's chosen you and me to be the way that he reveals himself to this world and he has put time and he has put resources in our hands and he wants us to be obedient and give it away you and i can change this city for the better you and i can see more families made whole more mouths fed and more lives changed but it does mean being obedient to invest in and build up this church now <laughs> last week i gave you guys a challenge we talked about giving last week too. And just as a disclaimer, we're not going to talk about it next week, just two weeks. We gave you guys a challenge. It was the don't give challenge. And, uh, and, and you guys did not disappoint. You took that challenge very seriously. Offering was very easy to count this week. <laughs> you, uh, the challenge was to go home to talk about it, if you have somebody important, to talk with them about it, to pray about it, and to consider becoming a recurring and generous giver to this church. To support the mission of Fort City with your finances. And I want to talk about what that actually looks like, the, the actual breakdown, the actual what giving looks like. We are blessed to live in a country where what you give to Fort City is considered charitable giving. What that means is that a percentage of what you give to Fort City is returned to you at tax time. Uh, we are especially lucky because uh, in Alberta, we have the highest tax rebate for charitable giving, better than any other province in Canada. And so what this means for an average wage earner in Alberta, in Fort McMurray, if you give $1,000 to Fort City, 
you are going to get a tax rebate for $450. What that means is that when you give to a local church, your giving is immediately multiplied. If you were to set up recurring giving, say even at $50 a week, at the end of the year, you would receive a tax rebate for $1,250. Now, these are just numbers. I'm just trying to create some examples for you. But the truth is that each one of us, the numbers are going to be different. Each one of us cannot give the same as everybody around us. And that's why Jesus and many uh, people in the New Testament uh, talked about giving according to to what you have. Giving according to what God has given you. And and we call that percentage giving. Choosing a percent of your total income to set aside as your tithe, as your offering to God. And and here's the truth. We look at our giving patterns and analytics and, and the truth is that the lion's share of our budget here at Fort City is made up of families who have chosen to be percentage givers giving anywhere from 3 to 10% of their annual income to the church. Now, if you're a new Christian or you've been around a while, those numbers sound huge and intimidating and scary. I get it. But those are the numbers. Those are, our church is made up of generous, our budget is made up of generous people giving generously. So you guys did so well on last week's Don't Give Challenge that uh, I'm going to do another one this week. This week is the Give Challenge. I want you to decide what is in your heart to cheerfully give and to decide to become a partner in what God is doing in and through this church. Now, we're going to close with uh, uh, some uh, some worship this morning, so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Um, After I decided that I was quitting Suncor to take a job here at the church, uh, I called my parents to tell them. And uh, my dad was very proud of me. And he told me uh, that he saw this decision coming for a long time. He was really kind. And my mom was really proud of me. And she told me I was an idiot. I shouldn't do it. (laughs) And the truth is, when I left Suncor to work here, I I, I took a pretty sizable pay cut. And I, I don't want you to interpret that, assume that the wrong way. I am more than fairly compensated for my work here at Fort City. That is not a complaint. Uh, still, it was a huge financial decision for me and my family for me to change careers. I, I mean, uh, I own two Fort McMurray homes, which I bought at the peak of the market. So you could say I'm doing pretty well. That's so sad, you guys. <laughs> I could, could use, I could use one. The first year after I took that pay cut, um, our, our lives had to change. Uh, it meant less travel. It meant more reasonable spending habits. It meant ditching Amazon Prime. Um, there were a lot of changes that we had to make as a family. But God was at work in my life, in my family's life, and He has been at work in this church. And so in a year where my income drastically fell, God gave me the courage to actually increase the percentage of giving that I make to this church. Now, we were making cuts all over, but somehow we were able to give more. Now, please do not take this the wrong way. I'm not bragging about my giving I'm telling this to you this because I want you to know something. I want you to know that I believe in this place. 
that I believe in you and I believe that what we do is important. And that I am not, and that the leadership team of this church, the, the people who are up here every week leading us and, and, and preaching and leading us in worship, and we are not doing something, we are not asking you to do something that we do not do ourselves. <laughs> Talking about giving as a pastor is, it's not that much fun to do, guys. I don't know if you can tell. It's complicated and it's nuanced. And there's lots of ways to screw it up and there's lots of ways to offend people. It is not fun, but I am glad that I get to do it. The giving moment on Sundays is the moment that funds every other moment. The giving moment on a Sunday is the moment that makes every other moment possible. Because we give, God multiplies. And because we give, more people meet Jesus. And because we give, lives are changed forever. Now, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you guys to do something something really uncomfortable. I'm going to pray. And when I do, I want to ask you to hold your hands out in front of you like this. To bow your head and to pray with me. And to pray and to ask God, what is the miracle that is in my hands that you want me to put into somebody else's? What have you put in my hands that you want me to give? Let's pray together. If you're comfortable, if you want to be weird with me, put your hands out in front of you. Jesus, we thank you this morning. I thank you for this room full of people who are seeking you, full of people who are faithful to you, full of people who have experienced what it means to follow you. And Jesus, thank you that we could come to this place and be encouraged and talk about you and worship you together. And Jesus, I just want to ask right now, in the midst of all of this, that you would shine a light on what you have put in our hands that you would help us to understand what you have given to us, that you have meant for us to give. That, Jesus, you would help us to understand that you have called us to be a generous people, and not for the sake of generosity, but for the sake of everybody else. Jesus, thank you for whatever the five loaves and two fish is that you have given to us. And give us the faith and the courage to see what miracle you want to do with it. Jesus, I ask you to bless everyone here, everybody watching online. Thank you. Amen.